Hello and welcome to the Experience Lounge podcast. I'm Sasha. I'm Laura. And we're here to talk all things employee experience, experience design, future of work and digital HR. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome back to the Experience Lounge podcast episode 20. I can't believe we're at episode 20. That is so exciting. Um, and we're excited to be back. It's been a, a long break, right, Laura? Yes, it has. I think sometimes not always intentionally, right? Um, mm-hmm. But I think as a lot of our listeners would know, we have um, full-time jobs and do this as a bit of a, a side mm. gig, I think. And sometimes, yeah, just life happens, I suppose. But yeah, we've had lots on, haven't we? What have you been up to? We have. So since the last episode, I flew back to the UK. So hold on. I wrapped up a big project, which was super exciting. Flew back to the UK at the start of December, was living my best life for a couple of weeks, touring around Dublin, you know, just kind of ignoring the whole global pandemic. Um, And then of course, Lady Rona caught me on my birthday, I think, when I was out and about in London, just, you know, having a great time. And then that was it. So my plans for a lovely, wholesome Christmas were dashed because I was then in isolation in an Airbnb um, that cost a small fortune over Christmas with my husband, both of us feeling very sorry for ourselves. And then by the time we were out of isolation, we had to fly home. So (laughs) that's great. Um, Back in Singapore now, but feeling a lot better about this year. I've got so many exciting things ahead. And most importantly, this podcast is my numero uno priority for 2022. So I'm super excited about that. But anyway, that's my sob story out of the way. Laura, what have you been up to? Well, I'm shocked actually that I didn't catch coronavirus because it seemed that everybody <laughs> everybody in the UK um, did, did sort of get it. And I've heard lots of stories. I was saying to somebody at work this week that I feel like we'll look back in 10 years time and just think, what was that? Like, like mm. I've heard stories of people like FaceTiming their family in on a cardboard box um, with a like laptop for Christmas dinner because it was just, you know, yeah. just just a bit crazy. So didn't catch it, but I do feel like it's only a matter of time <laughs> given given how That's things true. are. But yeah, I did have a lovely, lovely family Christmas, which was nice, I think, given we'd obviously been overseas for, for quite a few years and hadn't yeah. seen family for a while and um, started a new job, actually, in um, in the new year. So um yeah, I've, uh, I, I'm still going to be focused on employee experience, but taking a, a regional HR role. So I'm, I'm excited about that um, and sort of actually excited about bringing employee experience and being able to, I think, try and land that more from a sort of region country perspective, I think mm-hmm. is a different lens of, of trying to deliver. So I'm quite excited about it. So yeah, Yay. that's been, that's been, um, my sort of Christmas and New Year exciting times and we've found a house but sort of going through all of the all of the sort of solicitor stuff and everything it's a bit of a nightmare but hopefully we'll get there we'll see big end to the year for you so first it was the Tesla we had Tesla diaries that was fun yes then you got a new job (laughs) then you dodged COVID and now you're buying a house like it's going to be a great year people it's going to be a great year I hope so I also feel when you look at the um stressful life events that you Mm. can do I've done a few of them in the last last few months or going into them Mm. I only probably need to get divorced is maybe the other one I think or yeah I I mean it's up to you I don't think it's on the cards it's okay we could take this offline we could take this offline think twice for help um no it is it is um it it was nice to have a bit of a reset I mean obviously apologies to all because we got so many messages from people 
saying oh it's so good to have you back and all of this stuff but as usual life just happens and COVID happens and Christmas and all of those things but no we are super excited to be back and we have got so many exciting episodes planned for this year as well and I've kind of taken a bit of a step back from some of the projects I'm working on to focus a bit more on our podcast and kind of content and research this year just to you know focus on all the things I love doing and so hopefully that will bring lots of exciting content for everybody that listens to the podcast which is great so really good to be back and excited to be back and reunited with my employee experience bestie yes exciting (laughs) times right so what are we covering today what's our what's our episode all about So today we're going to be talking about when digital HR projects go wrong. So this is kind of the end of, or almost the end, we've got one more episode after this of our bumper series on HR projects, on digital HR projects. And so this is kind of trying to round it off. Um, Our next episode will look at adoption. This one is going to look at kind of what happens when things go wrong. So before we get into that, just a couple of bits of HR tech news, because you know, it would be such a shame to miss this after so much time out. So a couple of big stories here. So um, Europe has minted its first unicorn of 2022 with the close of payroll software developer PayFit's 254 million euro series E round. The round values the French startup at 1.82 billion euros. That is the money I am manifesting this year and was led by General Atlantic with participation from existing backers. And there are so many names here I will just put them in the show notes and link this article but a huge congratulations to Payfit go ahead and check out their website they serve kind of that mid-size market and I think that's a really good market especially for something that offers kind of out-of-the-box integrations really intuitive payroll software um it's really cool so definitely go and check that out the second story is one that we talk about all the time here especially as we're kind of moving into this hybrid working future BAU is Miro. So hot on the heels of JustWorks launching its initial public offering, visual collaboration company Miro has closed a $400 million, sorry, a 400 million series C round. This influx of capital brings its total funding since it was founded in 2011 to $476 million and gives Miro a valuation of 17.5 billion, according to TechCrunch. Again, manifesting that kind of capital for us both this year, Laura, and for everybody that listens to this podcast. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> that would be great. I used, uh, I said to you, like when we before we were recording this, that I used um, Miro for the first time actually this week because we were doing a, a sort of working session with an external partner. Um, yeah, and it was good. I enjoyed it using using the tool for some EX sessions. So it was good. Yeah, no, it is. And I know we've had this kind of, are you a Miro mural divide? Because I think yeah. for so long, it's just kind of been that thing. But I do think Miro have obviously dominated the enterprise market and even here and we'll leave the article link but um, it just says here Miro's virtual whiteboard technology is now used by 99% of the Fortune 100 so you know they, they've really dominated that market which is great so re- I, I'd be interested to see kind of why Mural maybe didn't jump into that enterprise space as much or, or yeah. why they're not there I don't know is it like a structuring thing who knows um, but anyway those are the two big HR tech news topics um, or news stories this week so excited to bring those back to the podcast and so yeah let's get into the topic today so first question for us is like we've mentioned this before HR projects failing digital HR projects failing and I know we've mentioned some research before by Josh Burson that talks about you know I think it's something like 30% of projects 
projects are, are deemed successful. So that leaves a huge gap in terms of project failure and obviously a huge opportunity for us to try and learn and avoid any of those mistakes kind of moving forward. So question one is, what do we mean when we say a HR tech project is going wrong or has failed? So Laura, what do you think? Probably one of the main things would be that it's not actually going live at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would that would almost be, I guess, a sort of complete revoking of the entire project and technology implementation. I think we talked about this when we sort of talked in a previous episode about some of the the kind of evolution that you would go through when you're implementing tech projects. I think one of the sort of key things would also be that a lot of the original design or intention of that project is then shifting out to the right. So what that might mean is you end up with either major a major backlog of um, defects that you're going to need mm-hmm. to to work through. And sometimes um, those can be over a series of weeks, but actually a, a sort of, I guess, a really unsuccessful implementation would be that those defects are lasting kind of months. Um, and actually I, I have seen some where it's been, over a year like trying mm. to get through that backlog and and typically if it's if it's a long period of time post go live mm. i think that would um would definitely be be seen as uh, a, a sort of a failure i think actually though the other is maybe less using the word failure but when it's not as successful is is like i say when things move more to the right so you're sort of day two day three what you've got in your design that keeps moving and the reason why that often keeps moving is then because there's lots of issues in the original design uncovered that then need to be need to be fixed um, so they would be probably a couple of ones, I think, for me. What What about you? What do you think? Mm, yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And I think topic two is kind of what are the causes of those failures? And I've got a few thoughts, especially around things moving to the right. And particularly when there are third party vendors involved, I think that happens quite a lot. Other things I think, you know, when we we think about it going wrong or failing or maybe not being as successful is adoption. Um, and I know we're going to talk about that in the next episode. But, you know, I think so often as you get towards the end of a project especially a tech project you're so wrapped up in kind of testing testing sign off moving into production that that can sometimes be a bit of a dip in the change plan because unless you've got unless you've got a kind of fully resourced change team which yes is the ideal but sometimes isn't always practical especially at the end of those projects when you're trying to pull as much resource into kind of the key things like data and testing etc Um, it can be a real challenge. So I think sometimes if we're not seeing the adoption we want early on, that can, that can be a a failure. Um, So I I think that can be a challenge. I also think kind of slightly different on this one is where there are challenges around benefit realization. And did we achieve what we'd set out to achieve? And I think that comes down to what I have seen before in projects, not having a clear set of objectives for the project, or this is what we want to achieve. And this is what we're expecting in terms of ROI within the first three months, six months, nine months. And so I think even if your project isn't necessarily a failure and you get the technology over the line and the adoption isn't too bad, if you haven't set out at the beginning of your project, what success is going to look like, it can feel like a failure, even when it's not. And I think that can be really hard for some teams to kind of navigate or, you know, it's really hard for people to say, here's what we've achieved, because 
we never went through that thinking beforehand. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's that sort of um, setting expectations around what the what the sort of technology is going to deliver and also mm-hmm. aligning that, I think, to business strategy and sort of business challenges so what is the what is the technology going to enable and I think we talk about that a lot in in the various episodes that we've done that technology is is an enabler and I think being really clear on what it is going to enable is obviously really key to um to sort of landing a a successful implementation I think the other we we talk a lot in the next episode um around adoption but I think one of the things too is being really clear about when your users are actually going to use the platform Mm because I think there's also sometimes a bit of a because if you're working on the project it's obviously something where you're focused on that every day it's it's like incredibly important to you like you 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 work hours weekends to kind of go live with this technology and I think sometimes forget that the average employee for a lot of these platforms is not going to go in on day one. Yeah. They're, they're going to go in as and when they need to transact and actually use that platform to do something. And yeah. I think building your adoption plan and using some of the digital adoption platforms and tools that are out there is 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 so key because I've mm-hmm. seen loads of, of sort of organizations in the past focus so much adoption activity pre go live and actually it that's not where it, it needs to be and I don't even think it needs to be we've gone live and now everyone's going to go into the system it's like thinking when are people actually going to go and transact and use it and it's normally mm-hmm. if it's one of your sort of big sort of uh ERP systems it's going to be oh I need to book some leave yeah that that kind of transaction rather than you will get some employees I think that would go in and sort of have a bit of a nosy around just because they're interested but I think most people would only then use it as and when they they sort of need to so I think that's really important um and and then link to wider wider sort of um projects fail I think if you focus so much of that adoption on this kind of big bang because I just don't think that's the reality of how employees use some of the technology Mm, yeah I agree and I think you almost you almost don't want it to be a big deal. Like, as you say, when you're wrapped up in a project, you think when you get to go live, you're like, oh, this is the be all and end all. This is, you know, re- this everyone's going to care about it when we go live. And the reality is, you know, if you're going live with a brand new HCM, as you say, employees only really care about that when it comes to using the system, which isn't going to be as frequently as we'd expect or as we'd like to think when we're going through that project phase. So you're right, you almost want that it to be just a seamless transition into go live. And for those change in adoption activities, whether that's a digital adoption platform or whatever else it might look like, depending on the size of your organization, um, to also be as seamless and not to be a rush before go live and then kind of hope for the best afterwards. Um, So yeah, I totally agree with you. Moving into topic two then, we've spoken about, you know, some of the reasons projects fail, but what are the causes of failed HR tech projects so one which I think covers a little bit in the 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 sort of previous question that we were addressing is actually I think around I'd probably describe it as like poor data governance or or sort of data Mm -hmm. integration because in a lot of your um, technology platforms data is obviously king in terms of um, how people use that data whether it's the sort of HR operations teams to run processes like payroll um, or even you know the example we gave about leave management as well and I think 
some of the reasons why technology implementations fail is because the data architecture just isn't isn't in place and or the the sort of um ability from a data perspective to transition from your old system of record to then your mm. cloud-based platform and i think i i think that's a real key issue in terms of of trying to get that right when you think about landing any any sort of system implementation and where i've i've seen in the past that, that that's gone wrong is when th- there's just been some massive massive data issues um the other i think and it's really difficult to do this when you're particularly i think if you're sort of a global organization where you operate in a number of different markets where there's you know nuances in terms of country legislation or it could be sort of regulatory um legislation as well that there's a tendency not just against the backdrop of some of those factors but also almost in an organization you sort of have your set of of processes that um you're used to to used to colleagues going through that you might then decide to customize the product Mm. and Mm. a lot of the um the guidance you'll obviously get from the vendors who who sell a lot of the hr tech platforms is not to to overly customize so i think where again i've seen these implementations be less successful is where there has been a tendency to overly customize and the challenges that presents itself is again around integrations is is sort of one big thing but also when you're moving to cloud-based products that have regular releases and updates the more that you can stick to out of the box as possible you then get the benefit I think of a lot of those updates mm-hmm. so in the same way that you know you would get an iOS update on your phone it, it's that sort of logic of needing to to make sure that you're able to to access I think a lot of the benefits and I think where organizations struggle is if they've over overly customized yeah absolutely another uh, kind of challenge or or driver I think of some of the failure is a project management thing as well um, and there are two parts to this so first is where maybe you have overlooked the complexity of the organization when it comes to the timelines of a project um and so that's a probably sounds fairly obvious but you know if your project team or the organization is you know fast-paced when it comes to projects or how they roll out technology internally and even how they roll out technology for their customers it doesn't necessarily translate to the speed of your hr project and particularly when it's a global project and it's really complex and we're managing different cultures and different potentially different solutions transitioning into one so I I think certainly that can be a a big driver and, and I've had that experience quite recently where we've kind of had this quite idealistic project timeline and actually it hasn't taken into account you know major project sorry major payroll deadlines it's not taken into account the performance cycle you know that can be a real challenge Other things as well that I think, and this is particularly relevant when you're bringing in a vendor, right? So if you bring in a project partner, like a big consulting firm or even a small consulting firm to come and run your project, you know, they're bringing with them a project plan that has worked for other clients. um, And obviously their situations are slightly different. And as much as they'll sit down with you during the kind of early stages of the project and say, you know, what are the things we need to navigate, blah, blah, blah. The one thing that a lot of people don't really go into depth 
um, around is the level of experience of um, this kind of scale of project within the internal team. So to give you an example of this, your consulting partners might well, you know, schedule a month for testing. But actually, if your teams aren't familiar with testing and it's not something that they've gone through before or they've done it and it's not been at the same degree or the same level of complexity, that four-week testing window will very quickly turn into eight weeks without you even realizing it. And so I think, you know, it's really important not only to have strong project management and to make sure that you're navigating the complexities of your HR organization, but also realistically asking yourself, you know, are we equipped to go through it at the pace our external partners are guiding us to do so Um, and I think that's again something I've experienced quite recently as being a real challenge is I can think we all understand UAT but actually if the level of maturity isn't there on the project team in terms of project experience it causes major delays and not just major delays but a huge knock of confidence to everybody that is part of the project because if they see us slipping behind or if they see people struggling with testing what does that say about go live what does that say about the kind of finished product if you like and how that's going to be adopted by the HR team or our end users our customers our employees um so I definitely think that's also another driving factor to build on that point I think there's almost something as well and we're seeing this I think in some of the um the sort of predictions for 2022 and beyond when we think about EX and, and sort of the HR function is there something about building that sort of digital capability within the HR function that means colleagues who are in HR that might not necessarily be in the in the sort of thick of um, HR technology implementation Mm. still have that the the sort of digital skills to understand things like um, testing or to to have that view of how how is that technology going to land because I think that's really important in terms Mm. of of sort of building future skills within your HR function actually so I think there maybe is something there about how can organizations upskill but agree it can be quite challenging if you've not done a sort of large-scale system Mm. implementation before and and there's a lot of like acronyms and jargon that I think would be thrown around and can be can be quite intimidating for people and I think the other is particularly if you're an organization that's doing multiple technology implementations at one time, it's also being mindful of what the the sort of, whether it's the country HR teams, the HRBPs, your HR shared service center teams, what have they actually got themselves on their book of work in terms of how they're going to be able to then support the delivery? I think there's almost sometimes an assumption that, you know, we, we'll, we'll ring fence. This is the time period that these people are required um, and we'll tell them that's when they're required and then that, mm. that, that'll be fine. And the reality is a lot of the individuals that would be involved in, in testing will obviously have other deliverables yeah. you know they're they're kind of aligning themselves to um to sort of supporting the business and I think that's going to be baked in um and often yeah. it's overlooked in terms of I think that like you say a there's a sort of upskilling piece but also actually the time capacity because there'll be other deliverables that um that those teams are, are kind of focusing on so I think that's a, a sort of important thing to um to, to think about as well I also think I think it's such a good point and I think COVID times 
you know, delivering projects right now means everybody on Zoom calls for the workshops that you'd normally have in person, right? So I went through an entire project where it was all Zoom. I think it was, I think it was over 120 hours of workshops we went through. It was crazy, you know, throughout last year. The reality is kind of building on your point, you've got to set expectations with people around the time investment it's going to require when people have a BAU role. Not only that, you've got to make sure that people are fully engaged because it's so easy for someone to join a Zoom call for two hours for us to talk about the absence process, for example. But if the critical person in Comp and Ben is on the call but not paying attention, that creates a huge issue further down you know, further down the line when we're in testing and then all of a sudden they're, they're switched on, they're paying attention and they're like, oh, we missed out a critical step in this process. And so I, I maybe that's like a, it's coming across, I expect, as a bit of a moan from me. But I think if you're pulling in people to be part of your project, keeping them engaged, especially when you're doing this entirely remotely or even if it's kind of hybrid, that's another challenge that you kind of need to navigate. I don't have all the answers as to how to keep people engaged. Maybe we'll get to that in the next in the next part of this podcast episode. But, you know, really something something to think about and certainly something that's fresh of mind for me. I think that's like so important. And and nowadays you, you're sort of seeing, I think, with a lot of the um organization network analysis data that is showing there's so many employees that are on virtual meetings and doing something else at the same time and Mm, from a productivity perspective that's not great because like you say you could easily miss a really important step that then means something gets put into design and then when you come to test it it's wrong or it doesn't even get put picked up in testing and then it kind of goes through to go live and then you've got yourself um potentially some some massive issues and again I don't have all the answers but I think it's how you keep people engaged um on those virtual meetings and and sort of I think being mindful of of people's time because I do think Mm -hmm. there's a tendency as well to run those as really long meetings but we we sort of know human attention span and ability to kind of concentrate. You need to build breaks in. You've got to do things that require people to actually import, whether that's using some of the collaboration tools we've talked about before or or something that means your concentration is kept. Otherwise, yeah, I think that is, is super risky. Absolutely. So as we kind of wrap up the episode, what can we do to prevent project failures? And if necessary, how do you come back from that failure to ensure that your next project is a success? So I think some of the foundations are having really good project program management mm-hmm. leadership. I also think a real blend of individuals in your program team that have real experience of delivering large-scale technology implementations yes. And when I say real experience, I also mean people who have implemented it and also been around post go live. Because yeah. I do think there's a tendency, particularly if you sort of augment your implementation with with some of the sort of um, partners, consultancy partners, that there there won't always have been people that have been there for a long time post go live. And so one of the things I would sort of say from my own experience is I've been involved in implementations to go live and then been around a few years afterwards and you sort of see how you know how the implementation Mm -hmm. has actually gone so I think that's really key I think the other is um again in terms of the the sort of resource profile that you'd have in the team 
is making sure that you do have people that really understand your current HR processes and also what your your to be. Um, and obviously we, we couldn't say this um, and be an EX podcast and not say it, but making sure that that, that employee lens is throughout all yeah. of your your sort of design that that kind of I think goes without saying from all of our previous episodes we would um we would always say that that's incredibly important I think the other and 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 we've touched on this definitely before in a in a previous episode but is being careful not to get swept away by the vendor and I mean that Mm -hmm. we you know I mean that in the nicest possible way I've I've worked with vendors for years and have have great relationships with them but there is a sort of um taking it with a pinch of salt in the sense of you will get sold a, a a sort of vision in terms of what the platform can deliver and yeah. i think it's sort of being mindful of that and thinking about what does it mean for you in the context of your organization because often when you then peel back the layers of what that platform can actually do there's lots of reasons why you might not be able to accept sort of take on that functionality or um as we sort of said there may be some customizations that you need to do that mean you can't you know take that on board so I would just sort of say don't oversell it and and I think that's really key like being really Mm -hmm. clear about what is transformational about that platform but what isn't and I go back to the leave example I don't think booking leave is particularly transformational um it's a transaction that employees expect to happen they expect it to be seamless there are some cool things that you can do obviously with nowadays with sort of virtual agent chatbot where you can you know have some of that populate for employees but the general kind of transaction of booking leave as an example Mm. you know don't over oversell it but there are some really cool features as well within some of the the tech implementations which you do want to call out so it's knowing knowing which ones to yeah I would totally agree and I also think we touched on this before having someone on the project team that knows that vendors will oversell stuff a lot of the time and if it's not your vendor it will be your third-party consulting firm that are helping you implement whatever technology you've got and again that depends on the scale of the project and kind of the size of the technology you're implementing and how quickly you need to get it done but just something to be really, really, really aware of. Um, and being mindful as well, how that messaging translates to your employee community as well, to your employees. And again, I think it's, if you take that employee experience lens, you're going out, you're consulting with your employees, even before you're kind of going out and talking to vendors and throughout that process as well, as well that vendor selection process, right through the project experience as well. It just means that you're not going to have to put in all the hours to translate, you know, what does this project mean for our for our employees is is kind of already baked in and clear. Um, A couple of other things that I would call out is potentially not doing major projects. And I think this is something that is maybe a slight different, slightly different take on HR technology projects. But I think as we're looking at kind of smaller, more niche point solutions for things like HR service, um, you know, even applicant tracking systems, those kind of things, we don't have to do major projects. And some organizations, controversial opinion here, they're not built for that. Some HR organizations just Mm. do not do well with big HR projects. And I think that that's okay, especially if you're in like fast paced technology businesses, where things are super agile, and people want results really quickly. 
going ahead with a nine month program of technology implementation might not work. And I think that that's okay. So, you know, maybe we can chew that one on a different episode, but I certainly think I would love to see more small, fast time to value projects in this HR tech sphere. So that's the other thing I would add. And I I guess the last point, which is kind of similar to what you've mentioned before, is avoiding customizations. Focusing on out of the box functionality and getting something up and out is really critical. Being clear that what you're doing is phase one, I also think is really key. Um, So people don't expect the world and therefore expectations are aligned based on what you're about to deliver. So out of the box, get something up and out, and then start to think about how do we build this into the future of the organization or whatever it is moving forward. So that is what I would say would help prevent project failures. But it's also okay if your project fails. I mean, it's not okay, but it's likely to happen to most of us throughout our careers, um, right? Yeah. And I think there's something, um, you made a really good point around the the sort of scale of the project, because I think increasingly as we're looking for HR as a function to be more agile and we're trying to adopt more agile ways of working. And the, and and I think it's trying to shift the narrative within your organization as well about um, not it all needing to be perfect straight away and actually mm-hmm. having a minimal viable product and building yeah. on that as you go is, is really, really important. So, so I think, I think that should definitely be a focus rather than sort of, like you say, sometimes the sort of two three year massive implementation sort of it's a lot and it's a lot for the people working on the programs but also I think the people receiving the change because it's a long kind of change curve to go on in the sense of it's talked about for a really long time and you have to wait and wait and wait whereas I think the the move to 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 trying to go after more of a minimum viable product mindset and you build and you iterate and you learn from your mistakes and you make changes and you might do a couple of countries if you're a larger organization rather than like big bang it all I think is um, is super important and the bit I, I think you sort of saying about the size of implementation I think also one of the reasons projects fail is because there isn't clarity around what your sort of technology architecture or ecosystem is going to look like because yeah. we, we've talked about this before but there there isn't in the market and, and nor should there be I don't think one platform that does everything that you need it to do but I think yeah. in HR you have to be really clear with your technology partners around what is that ecosystem going to look like and how do those platforms integrate together because quite often they actually don't and so you're having to build a lot of APIs and 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 sort of then have trade-offs around employee experience because you don't have the the sort of ability to integrate them all so I would say that's also a really important conversation to have when you're thinking about your tech implementations and I don't think probably enough organizations do think about that overall tech infrastructure and what their ecosystem is going to look like as well mm. yeah absolutely definitely starting I feel like we could talk about this all day <laughs> yeah, I know we could we absolutely could no I totally agree with you but yes so hopefully if you are listening that was a useful kind of how and why HR technology projects fail or digital HR projects fail we've not been able to cover everything there's there's a huge huge list and please do reach out to us let us know what your experience is kind of any other advice that you would give as well we'd love to share that on a future episode with people you know if there's something we haven't covered that you've you know recently gone through absolutely reach out and let us know and we hope 
that if you are embarking on a digital HR project this year, it is a complete success and that you are able to navigate the complexities and all of the issues that would normally, or not normally, but would often come up in those projects. So all the very best to you. A huge thanks for coming back to the podcast. We're super excited to be back. And I think my dog is just coming in to say hello as well. Um, But no, it's great to be back. And yeah, we'll be back with the next episode on adoption very soon. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye.